0: What? I think you dropped your Bible. That's not mine. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you drop it. No, that's not not mine. Get out of here. I still remember sitting there my freshman year in the stands with my dad at Raincross Square in Riverside, watching Corona High School play their guts out and getting destroyed by North. And it was so heart-wrenching in the finals to watch our school go down to second place of a tournament. Ah, and yet you can imagine my thrill while I sat there my junior year of high school on the team that was winning that tournament. Yes, uh, there at the finals, sitting on the bench last person on the bench watching my team screaming my guts out excited about everything and at the end of the game while we were up all the points we needed to be up because we were going to win my coach looked down and said greg and the other guy you're in and we got up and we rushed over to the side sat down waited for the right moment to hop in and be a part of the final portion of the game while i'm sitting there my dad came down next to me and he leaned forward to me and said you know Greg, uh, it's been a long time. Been meaning to get here for a long time. This is super exciting. You know what? I want you to get out there and give it your half. No, he didn't say that. In fact, my dad didn't talk to me. We went in, I kind of shot and played as hard as I could. But the point is nobody ever tells their kid, get out there and give it half of what you got. Nobody says, you know, you just leave some for home, you know, don't put it all out on the court, don't put it out all on the field. Because we really do believe as a people that we need to give our all in whatever we do, especially when it comes to God, don't you think? We need to give our all over to God. And yet, to be honest, as I've looked at Jonah, as I've sat and listened and pondered this text, I begin to wonder how many things do I do halfway Am I half-hearted in? Am I just kind of half-heartedly engaging work? Am I half-heartedly engaging my family? Maybe some of us are like, yeah, you know, I I can agree. I'm half-heartedly engaging certain things I shouldn't be. But when it comes to my spirituality, that's the place that I realize, yeah, you know, a lot of times I'm half-heartedly studying the Bible for devotionals. I'm half-heartedly praying. I'm sort of just like, yeah, God, would you please help me out now? And, And I'm not giving my all into it. Sometimes that's because I'm just tired. You know, sometimes it's because, to be quite honest, it's just familiar. The, the Bible's familiar. These prayers are familiar. It's the same thing. And yet sometimes, to be quite honest, it comes from a no Lord kind of heart, right? It comes from a no Lord kind of feeling when it comes to our attitudes. This was the case with Jonah. Uh, we've been following Jonah. We've been following the one prophet who has that no-Lord attitude. And we've followed him all the way from hearing God's call to escaping onto a boat, sailing in the opposite direction, to being thrown into the sea, scooped up by a sea monster fish thing, sucked down to the bottom, even into Sheol itself, and spit out on the land. And now we land with Jonah here from his no-Lord attitude in Jonah chapter 3. For those of you who have been with us in this book, this is a very sophisticated book. It is not a simple kid's story. And if you think it's all about the fish, just again, I want to pause you and remind you, it's not. This is about our heart. This is about a mirror of our souls when it comes to our Creator. When it comes to the calling and the declaration of how we should live in our life and where we should go and what we should do, we give God a no-Lord attitude. But it's also about this God who pursues us in that rebellion, who pursues us because He loves to rescue rebels in the rebellion, like we've seen as He rescues Jonah in his rebellion, as He rescued some pagan sailors when they were in rebellion. And we're going to see God do even more today. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it up there to Jonah chapter 3. As we pick up, we're going to start off in verse 1. And here's how it reads. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, if you'll look back to chapter 1, you'll notice that this is not the same thing, but it's the same call, right? Last time he told him to arise, the sin of Nineveh is coming to my nose. It's like stinky and nasty, but here he's like, he just ditches the whole conversation about sin. He actually says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it a particular message I have for it. Now, this is different because Jonah's like, what happened to the sin thing, right? I'd be like, where's the sin part, God? Except for the fact that maybe Jonah... Stinks more of his sin than a fish, maybe, right? And, and so God's like, nope, I'm still going to use you. Get yourself going. Get out there. In fact, we wonder with Jonah's kind of no-Lord attitude, he's, he's gone to a long distance to try to make sure that he stays away from this location, Nineveh. What's he going to do next? How is he going to act? And what we discover is that, to be quite honest, he obeys. He says, so Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the lord so jonah actually gets up he heads out he hears the word of the lord he realizes okay if you're gonna suck me up in a giant fish monster thing and spit me out on the ground then i got it you know i'm on my way okay god you win i will do what you want me to do and so jonah gets up and he begins to head on out to nineveh now this is no small matter well Our text is going to fast forward through this. I want you to realize um, where it is. Now, there's Israel. We're going to fly over the desert here. We're going to land in Nineveh. And then I'm going to zoom out for you guys so you can see kind of what's going on here. As we zoom out, what you see is that likely somewhere, at some point, he swallowed the fish monster thing and spit out. We don't quite know where, but regardless, eventually what's going to happen for him is he's got to go a 550-mile journey, several months to go all the way. Now, What I love about this is that in all that journey and all that stress and all that stuff, Jonah still heads to Nineveh and God still called him. See, God gives second chances. God likes to give second chances. Now, here's the thing. It is easy to ignore God's call. Far easier than I'd like to admit, but I nearly did the same thing. I was um, coming into college. I had been dating a young lady after I'd come to the faith and was excited about what God was doing in my soul. People around me were saying that, hey, I really think that you should become a pastor. You seem to pick up the Bible knowledge. Well, you do really good at teaching people these kinds of things. And when I would talk to my girlfriend at the time, she'd be like, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I don't want to go through this ministry experience. I don't want to do that. And so I got it into my head that nah, that's not for me. I'm going to glorify God by being an engineer. And I headed that direction. I went to um, here to our to RCC, uh, you know, Norco College, they call it today. And I got my AS and got working in my engineering. As I headed off to Cal Poly Pomona, the full time ignoring that God was constantly telling me, Greg, I want you to be a pastor. Greg, I want you to be a pastor. So it's no wonder that he would take away that girlfriend three years, take away the jobs I had, make me realize I had six more years and the AS I had gotten didn't count for anything at Cal Poly Pomona. He literally took my life, gotten me sick and wrecked it on the shoals of a storm to wake me up to his calling. Thank God I heard it, I got up, I followed after his call. It's been quite an adventure. But some of you, you walked away from that calling. All those shoals and all that chaos and all that stuff maybe tried to capture your attention, but you made the decision for the sake of a family, for the sake of a friend, for the sake of whatever it was, Now, you weren't going to become that missionary that you always hoped to be. You weren't going to become the pastor God called you to be. You know, you weren't going to enter into that that ministry, that children's or youth or whatever it is. Because, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Name it. And you've just passed by your calling. Let me remind you, God gives second chances. Jonah ran as far and as hard as you possibly can. And God still was going to use Jonah. You don't think God still wants to use you? God still wants you... To reach that friend, God still wants to use you to touch the life of that leader, of that co-worker, of that person in your family, of that person down the street. God still wants you to follow through on that calling. He still wants to empower and energize you for the sake of his kingdom. He's got a calling. It doesn't go away, and he isn't going to give up. Perhaps that calling is being renewed today. Perhaps he's calling to you, and you're like, I need to take another step forward I need to begin to obey because hey you know what it's exactly what Jonah does he finally obeys unfortunately what we see is his obedience isn't like the full-hearted kind of obedience in fact it's kind of half-hearted see it goes on to say Nineveh was an exceedingly great city a three days journey in breadth now I'm gonna pause here for a second because this is a translation that's kind of awkward and weird if you were to dive into the, the Hebrew that's behind this statement, it actually says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city or just Nineveh was a great city before God. And it uses a word that can be used either for God himself or for the gods, plural. And it's not quite clear which one it is, but I believe the suspicion is that actually what's going on here is not that it's exceedingly great, but that this was an important city to the gods of the world. You see, the gods loved this city, Nineveh. It was part of a plan, a rebellion plan against Yahweh, their creator. The demonic team, the satanic team. Team had kind of set up shop in this area of Mesopotamia. And they had set up shop for the intention to destroy places like Israel. They didn't want Yahweh's people to work. They didn't want their creator's stuff to go. And so Nineveh is critical. In fact, it was set up as a place opposing God. Nineveh first shows up actually in Genesis, way back in Genesis chapter 10. We're going through some of those really odd genealogies, and suddenly we land in what's called the Table of Nations conversation, and it says that Cush fathers this guy called Nimrod. Now, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man, a gibber. It's this concept of a great warrior, a mighty king, something like that. But it's also strangely translated later by the Jewish people when they got to the Greek, he was a gigante. He was a giant. And there's hot debate that Nimrod was actually one of these like, giant, demonically inspired kings who actually was setting up a rebellion. It goes on, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, they say, and therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that word before is funny because it can mean I'm standing before the Lord, or it can mean that I'm literally against him, that I'm facing off with you. And it's far more likely that what we see is that this guy Nimrod is facing off against the Lord. He wants to fight him. He wants to resist him. How does he do that? Well, He sets up all kinds of cities through the Mesopotamian Valley and will eventually be called out as a god. And that god's name will end up being the name of a place called Nineveh. And so we end up with him setting up cities like, and you'll notice some of these, Babel, Erech. Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar, where that whole uh, Tower of Babel thing is going to happen, right? From that, he went on to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rebothir, Kala, Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. And we're like, what is, why are you bringing all this up? Because he calls it, that is the great city. This is a great city to the gods. This was a great city to these foreign people who were against the Lord. This is a spiritually significant mission that Jonah is on because what he is going to do is he's going to engage those very enemies that are seeking to destroy the very people of God. And he's going to go proclaim a message against them, a message to them, a message to call them. And Jonah is going to go with all this significance and all this weight, and he's going to do it half-heartedly. He's not even going to give it his all. In fact, it is very strange in the sense that Jonah shows up with this three-day place. This is Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, only a day's journey. It's a three days journey, a large complex, probably multiple cities. Actually, we don't know if it's Nineveh the city or Nineveh the district. More likely, Nineveh the district. But what we're seeing here is that he only kind of goes one day in. He's gone only a little ways in comparison to the three days. He's one day. When when it's going to take a three day thing, he's like, I, I got it in one. I'm just going to give it. Halfway, It's as if he went, okay, God, I kind of got this. And so he steps out to give it that half-hearted attempt. Yeah, I'm going give him a half, and he, and he gets out there. Yeah, so Jonah rises. He goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and now Nineveh is exceedingly great and all this stuff, and yeah, it only goes a day. I mean, when you finally get there, he, he preaches the message God tells him to. He says, "You yeah, have 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown or flipped or turned. And what's funny is this is a five-word message, five words in the Hebrew, five words, the five-word sermon. Really? That's all he's going to give? God sends him to a spiritually significant episode, and, and this is the people that will end up destroying Israel, and, and he's going to go, i give you five words. Yeah, I'm going to give you four, another 40 days. Nineveh, you're toast. You know, you're flipped. You're done. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to get overturned. You're going to get. That's it. Not about God, not about Yahweh, nothing about their sins, nothing about. I mean, he literally half heartedly preaches a message. And astonishingly, this is the response. The people of Nineveh believed God. This is so ironic. This is so ironic. I mean... These people abandon their gods, and they're going to repent and follow Yahweh. They're going to flip away from their gods, their historical gods, that are against Yahweh to follow Him off a five-word sermon. And what you and I are seeing here is another huge irony. When the Word of God comes to Jonah, He runs. When the Word of God comes to Nineveh, man, they respond. You got responsive Ninevites, people willing to abandon their gods. You've got this entire nation that was under all these false gods who are ready to run after Yahweh. I mean, Israel is condemned because they constantly ignore Yahweh to worship Baal and Ashtoreth and all these other gods. And it's a picture to Israel to smack them upside the head and say, guys, when I preach to them, they listen. But when I preach to you, you don't. You guys are half-hearted. And we need to take this in for a minute as the church. Pull it in for a second because I want you to understand... Our mission that Jesus has given us is spiritually important. It is spiritually important and it will be resisted. It is going to be resisted because we are reaching into the nations. We are still reaching into the same darkness that was set up like Nimrod set it up. See, In the Bible, God separated the nations out. He gave them over to the enemies, and He kept for Himself Israel and set them up. We, as non-Israelites, we as non-Jewish people, we as Gentiles, were under the gods. The way the New Testament would state this is that we were under Satan's power, that we were in the darkness. In fact, when Jesus calls Paul, listen to the words He says. Jesus tells Paul, but rise and stand upon your feet. Now, this is crazy. He says, I'm going to call you to turn them from what? Again, I want them to open their eyes to turn from darkness. Guys, before Christ, if you don't know Jesus, you're stuck in darkness. There are spiritual gods, there are spiritual powers in this world that are lying to you that are controlling you, that are telling you the sexual expression is great, power is what you need, go get more pleasure and joy, hey, work your tail off, be successful. And what we see is those gods lie. They lie and they lie. We're stuck in darkness. We're under the power of Satan. In other words, those rebellious demonic beings. And Jesus says, Paul, get out there, bring them to the light, bring them under God. This is the same call we've been given to go into the nations and to make disciples of them. Guys, we abandon our gods and turn after Him. It's a spiritually significant message. It's no wonder, Christians, you're going to get resistance. The gods aren't going to want to release their people. Satan doesn't want to let go of those. The darkness wants to hold on. And so you may be attacked personally. I'll tell you what, whenever I'm preaching something like this, whenever I'm getting engaged in this, temptation rises, doubts rise, fear begins to fill my soul. And those are the whispers of the enemy trying to dissuade us and stop us from the mission God's called us on. As Nineveh is there in front of Jonah, he's walking up, he's seeing the skulls piled, he's seeing the junk. You don't think that he's getting the whispers and being told, stay away, stay away. We feel in the same way. You're going to start seeing that you're going to be opposed, maybe even by the people that are trying to reach you. They're going to call you names, ask you questions that they don't even care would be answered. They just want to throw you off. They don't want to really hear in some cases. Or maybe we're going to see power. They want to shut us down, tell us we can't have the opportunity to preach the gospel anymore. You can't talk to children as in some countries or whatever. They're going to limit freedom of speech, call it hate speech, you name it. But the bottom line is the enemy, the darkness, is going to push back. They don't want to hear that God has declared the humanity is forgiven. The Creator is calling them them home. And so for us, as we get engaged, let's not be half-hearted. Let's give it our all. Let's get out there with the message of God. Let's learn how to speak it. You're like, I don't know. what, What kind of tools can I have? Let me give you a couple tools. Get onto Right Now Media. You can get onto our webpage through our small groups, and you can actually join Right Now Media. And there's entire sections on evangelism. Watch those. Learn them. Practice them, and what God will begin to do is empower you and empower me for the sake of reaching our neighbors, our friends, our family and those around us. There are some incredible tools out there that you can use. Get that training, start marching in it. Take the share keystone. These things will help us begin to move forward in reaching those around us. We need to be prepared. We need to have a plan, we need to get moving. Besides, we don't know who God's prepared. Somehow, Nineveh was already prepared. When Jonah walks in and preaches a half-hearted, five-word sermon, that's clearly God's, but it's, it's just enough of what God said. So, he's not lying. He's speaking the truth. But what happens is Nineveh responds. Why? Well, Jesus gives us a hint, actually. Um, Jesus references the story of Jonah and his life. And he says this. He said, the people after the people of Nineveh have believed, Jesus actually makes the claim. He says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say to this generation, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is evil. Here. And what I love about this reality is that not only does it say that the people of Nineveh actually did repent in history, what we are seeing is that God has prepared them ahead of time. There was something going on. Look, Jonah may have preached a five-word half-hearted sermon and seen a great repentance, but you probably aren't going to engage half-heartedly. To be quite honest, you probably will engage and fumble over your words like I do Struggle to explain the gospel well so that somebody might want to listen. You're not trying to be half-hearted. It's just that sometimes it doesn't come out well. I'll tell you, it's not always about how well you present the gospel. God likes to work even when we mess it up. Even when we only give the half of the gospel. When we get parts of it and we mess things up and we're so afraid that we're going to goof things up. God loves to work. This is one of the craziest things that ever happened to me. Uh, early on in my ministry as a senior pastor, I had been preaching my guts out, trying to get people to, to receive Jesus. And I had thought I preached some of the two strongest sermons I had ever preached in my life. I mean, to the letter, I would have gotten an A plus in-class, awesome gospel presentation, very clear donut. No one gave their life to Jesus. Went off on vacation for two weeks. I'd given our worship guy a shot. He'd never preached in his life. Gets up, preaches technically two very bad sermons, passionate sermons, but awful sermons in the sense of like technicalities. Ten men get saved. People are standing up in the middle of the sermon shouting about the coming glory of God and all this stuff's going on. And there was like revival breaking out. And I'm, and I'm going, God, what in the world is da? And I love it. And God just reminded me, it's not about how good you do, it's about how good God is. Not about how good you give the gospel, it's about how good God is. You don't know how He's preparing people, and you don't need to be afraid that you might say something wrong or whatever. God's going to use it. See, Jonah became a sign. Jonah was already there, and he had prepped the people. Notice, It says, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, something about Jonah, something about what he did brought about this repentance that happened in Nineveh. Now scholars have gotten into this and they'll talk about the fact that roughly around 763 BC in, in June there had been a solar eclipse and that would have been freaky enough but then there were major earthquakes there was a famine that hit the land there was already major political strife that had occurred and uh, Assyria was falling apart and so when Jonah shows up everybody's prepped some believe that he would have been bleached white uh, in in just as he gotten out of the out of the fish and he would have looked horrible when he had rolled into Nineveh Months later, you know, that's all speculation. But what we know is that somehow Jonah became a sign of judgment and they listened and heard, oh my goodness, we're going to be doomed in 40 days if we don't do something. His five-word, half-hearted sermon sank And so you need to trust that God may have prepared the people that you're talking to. He has prepared people for you to come and connect. He has prepared others that when you give the gospel, no matter how good or bad you do, He is ready to shift and change people. Think about the people who gave you the gospel in your life. They did their best and it transformed you. Because God works through us when we're obedient. We don't have to be perfect about it. Maybe people have hit rock bottom. So you go to the jails. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood and they're having a divorce and they're going through something and you were there to care and connect. Whatever it is, you don't know how God's preparing, but you can be ready and don't be afraid to give what you can. Because even when Jonah gives a half-hearted five-word sermon, a city repents. Now, obviously, Nineveh's repentance is a very ironic situation where you got a half-hearted prophet. Suddenly, you're going to have a full-hearted repentance by the Ninevites. Check this out. We keep going. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. I mean, this king and All the rich people and all the poor people are all doing it together. This is a full hearted repentance. They're getting down, putting burlap on, getting all scratchy and itchy and throwing ashes on their head like they're dying. Like this is over, we're all doomed. This was a picture of discomfort. This was a humbling event to get off your throne, put yourself down in the street. This is a sign of turning from sin. We call it repentance. And it's full-hearted. In fact, it keeps going. He, he's going to go beyond that. He's going. In a way, I would tell you, they over-repent, right? Check this out. He issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, love it, that word is cow, let man nor cow, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and cow be covered with sackcloth, and let them be call call out to them mightily to God. I don't know how a cow calls out mightily to God, but uh, this is where Chick Fil A began, right? You know, the cows are sitting there. We repent, we repent, right? That's the point here. It's ridiculous. This is supposed to be so big, so huge. No one's ever repented like this. Israel never repented like this. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and they never repented. These Ninevites hear a five-word sermon. God's prepped their hearts, man. They're falling over ready to beg God. They're like, we got to do something. You know what? Make the chickens stop eating and make the cows get in sackcloth and, and put them in ashes, you know, and make them low out to the Lord. We're all doing it together. Nobody escapes. And this is why they say, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What I love about this is that they're not just now virtue signaling their repentance. They're not just being hypocritical but putting it on the outside. Internally, they're saying, we're going to stop our evil ways. We're going to stop the violence. We're actually going to just end our, our evil. And so the sackcloth and the ashes and the mourning and the weeping were an external reality of the inward faith of the inward transformation, because they said maybe God will turn. Maybe He will relent. If we turn, He'll turn. And this word turn keeps showing up. It's this idea of that we're going to repent. We're going to turn. That's our word. We think of repentance in so many ways, but all it means is to turn, to turn around, to stop going in the direction you were going to turn and do a new direction and head that way. And that's what these men were doing. They were saying, we got to turn from our evil. Stop doing it. Do something else. We got to turn to God. Maybe then God will turn from his anger, his wrath, and he won't punish us. This word turn is so critical. Shows up throughout the scriptures. It is a call for us to consider where we're going, what direction we're heading in, and then to turn around. To turn from our evil, to turn from our violence, to turn from our drugs, to turn from our gods, to turn from our sinful spiritualities, our sinful sexualities, our sinful ridiculous things that we do. To turn from your gossip, to turn from your sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, to turn from your lying to your family members, to turn from smuggling that money, to turn from simply getting out there and running after your homosexual desires or pretending that you're bisexual or whatever you find yourselves in, to turn away from your rioting, to turn from your, your anger and your and your willingness to destroy other people, to turn from those murderous thoughts. Guys, we need to turn because it's going towards destruction. That's what they understood. And they said, maybe if we turn, God will relent. And what they show us is something powerful. They show us what it really means to turn, what repentance really looks like. See, repentance is... It's to be outward and inward. It's, just, it's supposed to be expressed outwardly. It's supposed to be expressed inwardly. We need to turn. Some of you guys are going like, well, then what do I do? How do I show that, that I'm on a turn? What, what's going on? Well, inside you need to say, I'm going to turn away. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm, I'm pushing aside. They, they're hunting for a way to turn. They're hunting for a way to get this. If only they had had a prophet who was nearby who could help them out, right? Hmm, where'd Jonah go? We'll get to that next week. But they're just trying to figure it out. And here, I'm going to tell you how the Bible tells you to turn. See, when we repent, we want to do it wholeheartedly. We want to do it with everything in us. We want to see that, oh my gosh, this stuff is evil. I need to turn away from it. Now, you're not going to turn away from all your evil. God doesn't dump all the truck on us. He's gracious. He, he gives us the main things. And then he slowly doles it out over our lives as we keep turning and growing in God. But we need to actually turn away from those evils and stop doing them. And we show it outwardly through the act of baptism. You see, Jesus says, we've got to show this repentance. We've got to turn. He, he was talking to his generation. He said, the men of Nineveh, they're going to rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And what I fear is that we don't turn outwardly. We don't give our lives to Jesus and we don't get baptized and show it. That's a way of humbling yourself. We don't get sackcloth and ashes on. We climb into a tub and you declare that you're dead, and you share with everyone you're following Jesus, and that's humbling, and it's a sign of your death, and it's a little uncomfortable when you do it in front of people, and that's all intentional to reveal that we are turning. We're turning to Jesus away from our sin. We're turning to a commitment. We're showing that off now. We are going to be loyal to God. We're going to be loyal to Jesus. When that happens, and we do that kind of baptism, and we show the repentance and look, one greater than Jonah is in our midst. Jesus' his word is here. His work on the cross and the resurrection is here. And it calls us to repent of our sin. God is so serious about that sin. He was willing to condemn His Son. He's so willing to condemn sin, so angry about it. He was willing to put it on His Son. Do you not think if you reject that, He's not willing to come forth with His anger? So please, turn so that anger may turn from you. Because guess what? God Will turn. That's what he does. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. He backed up of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He didn't do it. Wait, I thought Jonah said it would be destroyed. I thought it would be flipped. No, that's cool. We'll get into that next week. But what we do see is that God was willing to back off, willing to not bring the disaster because they turned. God loves, as we've said, loves to rescue rebels at their worst, even before your worst. You may not be at your worst. Don't get to your worst. Don't hit that rock bottom yet. Instead, even before, He's ready to rescue us. He's ready to save us. He's ready because Jesus didn't do it half-heartedly. Jesus paid it all. He went all the way. As he says in John 3:16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That's Jesus. Jesus was born. On the cross, bearing our sins, He gave His all. No half-heartedness from Jesus. No half-heartedness from Him. He said, listen, you, you, you God, I love you so much. I'm going to give you myself that whoever believes you trust Me, you, you, you turn and you have loyalty to Me in Him should not perish. You're not going to go to hell, but you're going to have eternal life. You're going to have the heaven life. You're going to have the life of God. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He wasn't here to destroy us like Jonah came in, hoping we'd be destroyed. He came in to announce, don't be destroyed in order that we would, the world might be saved through him, that we might be saved. That word is rescued. God sent Jesus to rescue us. The way he rescues us is that on the cross he bears our sin and that if you would trust that he took your sin, that he paid it all. He will rescue you from your sin. And what you do then is you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus on the cross and you trust Him. You say, I, I'm going ha- to trust you, Jesus. You took my sin. You punished it there. That, that whole anger that was coming towards me, you're going to take. And I'm going to be free. Now, I want to challenge you. Please, please make that decision to turn. Turn away from your sin because destruction is coming. Look, I can't tell you you got 40 days like Jonah. I can't tell you you got tomorrow. I can't tell you you've got to the end of this very video. All I can tell you is that death will come for you. The judgment will come. And I pray that you've already considered your direction and you will turn to Jesus. You will turn because Jesus gives this freedom from our sins and destruction as a gift. You don't clean yourself up. You come messed up. You turn as messed up as you are right where you are to Jesus. He cleans you up. He'll take you from there. But this is an opportunity for you to turn from those gods, turn from that evil to the God who has loved you, who's given you his son, who is a success for you, who is your honor, who's taking away your guilt. And he gives all this as a gift if you'd simply receive it. I want to give you a chance to receive it right now, to turn. And so if that's you and you're ready, do me a favor. Bow your head. Say to God, God, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I trust that Jesus Christ took my sin on the cross and that you are turning your anger from me to him. I receive this gift. Thank you. Will you come into my life and give me eternal life? I trust you. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen you prayed that prayer with me I want to give you an opportunity to let us know right there in the chat you can let someone know that you made the decision by clicking that raised hand or even saying something the better you can just text us the word begin at the number at the bottom of the screen we want to get a hold of you to help you begin to move in that journey of following Jesus of finding out even more about this God who has loved you this much that he would give his son to you you know, all the rest of us, let's get out there, no matter whether we do it in a great way or we do it in as-good-as-we-can way, we have an opportunity to bring the message of Jesus. Look, let's not be half-hearted about it. It's a spiritually important mission. It's been given to us. Let's get out there and see as many people come to love, live, and share Christ as we can. God bless you guys.